tribute to dad. <clears throat> you know, we, uh, we start tomorrow night. It's very exciting. We have 28 students going into second year, and we have 21 brand new students signed up for first year. Can we give the Lord some praise? Um, and we have correspondence students signing up from all over the place as well. And uh, I, we, we usually have closed the registration, but we've had people online submitting applications for attending in, in person that are from other churches. And, you know, what are we going to say? We've kind of closed it. So we just we were just accepting them. So uh, basically, I thought it's not fair to let them and not let you. So if there was anybody who has not yet signed up and would like to be in person with us, you need to do it today. Where's Liz? Liz, are you in the room? Are you working? So this is Liz. Go ahead and stand really quick. If you don't know my Bible college admin. <laughs> so just come up and see her afterwards and we'll get you um, plugged in because like I said we start tomorrow night and for in person once we start there's no joining later it's not until next summer before you can join again uh, if you know anybody correspondence that's living in another state or another place wants to do online you can they can join at any point because it's a different program for online people okay so uh, feel free to do that Another exciting thing, we've got so many new things in the works right now that uh, Josh and I are trying to iron out, and he actually got it up and running yesterday. So what, we're gonna, what we've created is we've created a Bible College Facebook page, and it's going to be a closed group. So if you're either a graduate or a current student, you'll be invited or you, you, you can uh, click to join and you'll be invited in. What this does is it's going to help us as we grow and we have people from all around the world joining online or wherever they are in the States. If people have questions during their courses, they can rather go to Facebook, the group, and say, hey, I'm struggling on this. Does anybody have a question or anybody know what to do? And then graduates and so on can respond and help them. So it <clears throat> can help with the discipleship tool. Plus, as of tomorrow night, I believe, hope I'm not jumping the gun, we're going to be live streaming the classes to the Facebook group. Yes. Not all of them, just the ones in this building. Thank you. The, uh, only the first years, because second year is we do it over in the Reservoir Church. And so only the ones that are in this building can we live stream. But we will be live streaming it. So this is going to be another tool that when people are online, wherever you're watching from, if you can get on at that time, you can jump on the Facebook group and watch it live. How cool is this? This is where we're going, people. Woo! Oh, it's awesome. It's so good. It's so good. There's, there's more stuff to tell you, but I'm going I'm to separate it by, by the weeks because there's so many good things happening all at once. All right. Father God, as we go to your word, Lord, I pray that the spirit of wisdom, your spirit of wisdom and your spirit of revelation would be upon each of us, Father, to be able to understand your word at a, a greater level. Lord, that you would reveal things to us, hidden truths and gems, God, as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, let's get started. We're going to read today. This is a, a great event, a great miracle that happens in the Bible, and there's just so much in the story. Every time I read it, um, I, 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 see, I see a lot of stuff like a movie in my head, and this is definitely one of those. So let's go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. There's quite a bit of reading on and off today, but I'll try and get the beginning part out now. <clears throat> now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, <clears throat> I know this... Uh, event this uh, gets told a lot of different ways people focus on a lot of different things on it in a sermon because there's so many great things anytime there's a miracle somebody's eyes get open from birth they were blind it's it's awesome right it's like wow this is an amazing miracle or the fact that Jesus spat in the sand like spat on the ground and then rubbed it in his eyes okay so it goes to show you that there's some things that are prophetic acts in the bible that don't do them unless God tells you to. Please, no ministry team start spitting in people's eyes down front, all right? But unless the Lord tells you to, because there was a reason, that can be a whole sermon on its own, what different narratives think about why Jesus did that for that guy. One of them could be because he was a blind man, they were looked down upon and people would spit at them because you were a sinner, you would, you're blind, so they would spit in the ground at them. So he was used to being the disgusted one that people spat at. So Jesus spat as well. But this spit would heal him. This time it would show that I care about you, I love you, right? So there's like a whole sermon there. There's all these different little things you could go down. But I want to kind of take a different focus today. And that is, I want to look at all the wrong questions that get asked in this narrative, all right? First of all, it starts with the disciples. They say, well... Who's to blame for the blindness? He's blind. Why? Who's to blame? He's mom, he's dad. You know, human nature, when something goes wrong, we want somebody to blame. We want somebody to put the fault on. Somebody's got to be like, who can I blame for this? I don't want to necessarily take it, but who else is there to, that I can blame for what's going on, right? It's human nature. Why did this happen? And sometimes we turn those questions to God. God, why did you let this happen? Or how could you let this happen? You know, and so we, we're looking for somebody to blame. But the disciples actually weren't very far off in the question that they asked. When they said, who asked who had sinned, they had a reason for doing that. Because blindness under the Jewish law was part of the curse for disobedience. Now we understand, we can, we're standing all these years later, we have the the whole Bible written, we have all the knowledge of science and everything else, and so we can look at something and understand that when a baby is born with deformities, there could be a number of reasons. We are in a fallen world, which means you might not have the perfect genes that you think you do. And I'm not talking about your 501s. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You might have some messed up genes that cause a deformity when the child is born. And we also know now that, that health tells you to do certain things. Don't drink and smoke when you're pregnant cause deformities. Uh, but then there's also sometimes where that category where you try everything right and stuff goes wrong anyway, right? It's that there's all these different things. However, they understood according to Deuteronomy chapter 28 that there was also curses. If you were disobedient, you were cursed. They understood, the disciples understood generational curses. You have to read the story not with your knowledge, but with their knowledge. They're standing before Jesus gets crucified. They're standing on the side where they don't know what's coming. They don't know what Jesus is about to do. They don't know the new covenant. They only know the old covenant. They only know the Mosaic law. 
a lot of times <clears throat> when people talk about curses, um, where do you, who do you think originates the curses? Okay, so that's why you came to church today. So Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and... We're not going to turn there. I'm just going to quote it. <clears throat> Adam and Eve sinned. They eat the apple, the forbidden apple. God shows up. What does he say? He curses the serpent. He curses the land. When Cain kills Abel, he curses Cain. He says, you are under a curse. The very first person to curse in the Bible is God. Curses originated with God. Ooh, I can just see the theology things going off right now in people's minds. What? What's happening? <clears throat> so also, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, I mean, there's pages of, if you do this, you'll be cursed with this. If you do this, you'll be cursed with that. There were curses for disobedience. You might, that's horrible. Well, what do we do when somebody breaks the law in America? You put them in prison. Well, we hope. We pray. So there's consequences, right? So we've developed a system that punishes the guilty. God had to have a system. There were no prisons then. So how is he going to discipline the people that broke the law? So he used curses. <clears throat> so the disciples have a very strong case for asking who sinned. He's mom or he's dad because blindness is a curse. But what does Jesus answer? He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, if you read it as it's written, this answer has the ability to leave you puzzled. What are you saying, God? You're saying that <clears throat> you made him blind to show off how good you are? I would never ask God that. You just did. You were thinking the same thing. Or at one point in your life, if you read that story with honesty, you were thinking the same thing. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean that he was born this way so that he, you could, he could get, God could get glory later on in his life? What does that even mean? See, when you read scripture and something pricks you, something sticks you when you read it because if you read it honestly scripture should do that to you there's going to be times where you read it and you're like oh i don't i don't like the way that made me just feel what are you trying to say jesus i don't understand i thought you're the good god i thought you're you 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 would never let anything bad happen to us what are you saying in the scripture those are good moments for you to have when you read scripture it means you're actually reading it with honesty, with vulnerability, and with the want to grow. When you have that happen, it's very easy. This is a point where you need to dive a little deeper. So either you go get a different interpretation, a different translation of the Bible, that scripture, read it. You can read different commentaries, why people think they said what they said. And you can also go to your spiritual, if you have a spiritual mentor or a spiritual advisor that you are friends with, somebody a little bit higher that maybe has the interpretation, has more knowledge in the, in the circumstance that can help you with it. Because you don't want to gloss over something and not have the understanding or at least somewhat of an understanding um, and, and let it bother you and just leave it bothering you. In these moments, you're going to see 
if you're honest with yourself as you read the Bible, there's going to be moments where you where you, it doesn't make sense. You're like, God, I thought you were a good God, and now you're saying this. But God is never going to reveal everything about himself to you. Our journey with God is a mystery. God is a mystery. That is why he is so fascinating and so interesting and why we keep studying. Because the more I learn and the more I know, the less I feel like I know. Anybody else with me? I like turn the page. I'm like, what? I thought I had a handle on this. You know, and then God's like, ooh, let me just open the next door. Let me just show him a little bit more. Let me shine light on this area. He's fascinating. We're never going to exhaust the depths of who God is. What an awesome thing. But that means there's going to be things that we don't understand in this life, that we don't get all the answers to. And it's in this moment where the test of faith comes. Can you humble yourself if you've done all the research, you've spoken to everybody you can, and you still can't get the clarity that you would like? In this moment, can you humble yourself to say, God, my mind and my soul are not getting the answers they want, but my spirit knows you to be true, knows that you're a good God, that you're a faithful God, that you have my best interest at heart. So I choose in this moment to trust you. That you have a bigger picture than I can see in this moment. This is the test of faith because the Bible is a two-edged sword, the scripture says. That cuts between soul and spirit. That means there is a division between your soul and spirit that can exist when you hear the truth. Your soul and your mind can fight it, but your spirit can know it's the truth. A lot of that is happening with culture today. There's things that the government is saying is okay. There's things that culture is propagating and Hollywood is propagating as okay. And so people are confused because their soul and their mind wants to say, well, this, is, this seems right. This is a culture. This, lives have, things have changed. We have evolved. But your spirit man says, mm, that's not the truth though. Something's not right. So you have to allow the scripture to cause that division in your soul and your spirit. And then you have to choose to side with your spirit. You have a choice. From my perspective, if I was just going to interject a narrative, I, I feel like Jesus is saying that blindness is not because of a sin or because of anything else, but just because in life sometimes bad things happen to good people. He's saying there's things that are going to go wrong in your life that are just because you're in this life and you're actually not in heaven yet. But what he is saying is, if you will allow it, God can get the glory through whatever you've gone through. If you will allow him, God will get the glory in this situation. But what he's telling the disciples is, he's like, you're asking all the wrong questions. You're asking the wrong question when you're asking who sinned. Because we all walk through seasons of life, right? If you're... Um, Maybe you get laid off. Some are short, some are long. Maybe if you get laid off from your job and you're without work for three months and you're in a season of trusting the Lord, you know, maybe you're eating ramen noodles every day because you're, you know, you're saving what you've got. You know, it happens, eh? Whatever you got to do. But you're in a season, but that season is short because maybe in three months you get a new job. Other seasons are longer. If you have children, it's like an 18-year season. And for some people, much longer. <laughs> and within that 18-year season, there's a lot of other seasons too, right? There's the toddler season, the teenage season. There's all these other seasons that come along with that. 
And, uh, you know, for me, I'm still, I'm still in a season of grief, and that's okay. Um, whatever season you're in, are you asking the right questions? Are you asking the right questions? Because when we go through different seasons, maybe it's a hardship. Maybe you're in a season of, of, of singleness, or you're in a season where it, you're just under a tremendous amount of strain or busyness, or whatever the season is. Can we turn our hearts away from the blame game as to why we're in this season or turn our hearts away from why, God, how am I still in this season and turn them and say, not why am I in this season, but God, how can I give you glory in this season? Maybe what am I supposed to learn in this season? God, what are you revealing to me in this season? See, for me, for me personally, this, this season of grief has actually been one of the most eye-opening spiritual experiences probably up there with my life. The rate at which God reveals things to me and unfolds things to me is, is I have yet I actually can't put into words everything he's showing me. As I've explained to you before, when God speaks, it's not the English language like it's a nice paragraph and you can recite it back. It's impressions. It's understanding that you just, you have it. You just have it. And it's not, um, I wouldn't want anybody to have to be in the season to learn it. However, you can't learn it without being in the season. I never had kids of my own, so I don't, there's experiences that you've had with God and raising your kids that I can never experience. You can tell me about it, and I could try, and I have a niece who I think is my child, so, and her parents think she is too, because I tell them all the time what to do to her, but, um, <laughs> love you, Bella Vera, but uh, I don't, it's not the same, right? I'm not her parents, so there's things that you've gone through that I will never be able to experience, because God can reveal it to you and speak to you in that season uniquely, and unfold things that you need to know about life, about him, that are unique to what season you're in. And as God has revealed stuff to me in the season, like I said, the separation of spirit and soul has become so real. Because I actually questioned my grief a while back. Because I have been through traumatic situations in my past before where it felt like I was stabbed with a knife in my heart. That's the grief I went through. And I wasn't experiencing that with my dad. And I was torn. I went to the Lord and I said, am I not grieving properly? Am I blocking it somehow? Trust me, I cry all the time. Ask my husband. I'm not saying I don't cry. And if you're around me for five minutes, I'll cry. Okay. So I'm not saying I'm not crying. I wasn't that I'm not grieving. I don't have the stabbing pain through my heart like I thought I should. And it was just a week or two ago that the Holy Spirit revealed something to me. He said, in that past traumatic situation, that was the death of that relationship. It was never going to happen again. You knew it was the over. It was never going to be all you'd hoped it was going to be. It was dead. He said, but what's happening now is your spirit man is very much aware that your dad is not dead. Your spirit man is very aware that dad is alive, just not on this planet. 
So connected is the spirit and so has such a revelation of heaven and the understanding that your spirit just steps over. That my spirit looks at my soul and says, what is wrong with you with this crying? Like we're going to see him again and it's even going to be better. And it's going to be everything you've known and loved about this person. He's still there. What's with the crying? So my spirit cannot grieve. And it won't let me. My soul, however, sorrows because of what I've lost. So in the midst of my deep sadness, the Holy Spirit reveals things to you, opens your eyes and gives you revelation in the midst of it if you will allow him to. If you'll allow it to look outside of the moment, God, what can you reveal to me in this season? Yes, not everything is the way I would like it. Things didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. But God, how can I give you glory in this season? What can I learn in this season? What can I help others when they go through this season with their, where they looked, what they're showing you? What can I do? How can I give you glory as I walk in this season? It's important to ask the right questions. My mom, she... Um, she has words of wisdom that come out of her mouth, and you just have to have a tape recorder when it comes because, like the other day, we were sitting, every, as every lunchtime we sit, and we usually end up talking about dad. I'm usually crying. She's not. Uh, she's just like, Cindy. <laughs> but the other day, she said to me, um, our spirits know where he is, but our humanity sorrows. You know, and that's just such a, a, a neat thing. If you've had somebody pass on who loved the Lord, they are just so very much alive. It's just you can't see them. Can you allow the Lord to teach you no matter what you're going through, no matter what it looks like? You know, one, one of the things that irritates me so much when I watch a movie, and I'm actually yelling back at the screen. <laughs> Again, Terry will be tooth. Usually, like, I love rom-coms, right, romantic comedies. But towards the end of the movie, without fail, there'll be some conflict that happens usually over a miscommunication. And the person will find out that they sent some email or they contacted somebody. And then when they get together, instead of the person saying to them, what happened? They go, I can't believe you did X, Y, Z. And the person's like, can I explain? No, I don't want to hear it. And, and, and they leave. And I'm the one yelling at the TV, just listen. Like, don't you want to know why they did what they did? Don't you want the explanation? I'm like, just stop and listen to me. You know, I get so annoyed. Of course, I understand why there's got to be conflict because then they come back together. And once they talked about the miscommunication, then they kiss and make up. And there's got to be the kiss at the end of the movie, okay? So there's got to be the climax. I get it. But this mimics life, unfortunately. Because things will go wrong in your life or there'll be a miscommunication or you'll get hurt or misunderstood. And what you do is instead of stopping and listening, you run from God. You push him away. No, I'm hurt. I don't want to talk to you right now. How did that happen? I know you're sovereign, so you possibly could have intervened. This, why is this working out like this? And you get cold on him. Or you, I got to stay away from church. That I, you don't understand, that person said this and this about, about me. So the place where you're being fed, the place where you're experiencing the very presence of God, you're going to allow one person to come in and get underneath that and ruin it for you. Because you're latching on to what the little 
little dart, the little thing that the enemy threw at you, the little conflict that he threw at you, now you're going to latch onto that and not go back to where God's called you to or to pull away from the one who's not to blame at all. Can I encourage you to just wait and listen? Just stop and be like, God, what am I, what am I missing here? Help me. Help me to see. Help me to not see what you're, what, what's happening, but what from the perspective of heaven. Because things happen in your life. Sometimes they're your doing. Sometimes they're somebody else's. Sometimes they're the enemy's doing. But if you're so focused on this moment, on this person, on this situation, on this lack, on this debt, on this job, you're so focused on it, you're not seeing it from heaven's perspective. There's always a greater narrative that's happening if you can step out of it, step into the spiritual side of your life to see what's going on. It's that separation again of soul and spirit. Can you step out of the body necessarily and look at it from the perspective of heaven? What am I not seeing here, God? What are you trying to show me in this season? God can use everything. This is all about the journey with the Lord. Your whole life is a journey. And sometimes we just want to scrap a season. We just want the season to be over. Let's just get to the end. Let's have it all. Okay, we're good. We're good, God. And he's like, no, you missed the whole part. So you guess what? You're going to repeat that season. Because you clearly missed what you were supposed to learn. And you wonder why your life looks the same around and around and around. Because you're trying to push through it. You're trying to get to the end. You're trying to get a conclusion that you're missing the point of the season. Let's go back to the narrative. So verse, verse 8. So now he's gotten his, his healing, right? Therefore the neighbors and those... Oh, glasses. I was like, that's very blurry. <laughs> I was like, the oh, anointing is strong up here. <laughs> Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, mm, He looks like him. He said, I'm he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They, so then they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. He doesn't even get a name, this poor guy. He's just the blind man, right? Have you noticed this? And now he's the formerly known as the blind man, you know? So now he gets taken to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious people of the day. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner then do such signs? And there was division among them. Talk about asking all the wrong questions. See, the Pharisees were the religious people of the day. So the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to work on it. No work was allowed to be done. So they think they know God. God put this law in place. I'm obeying it. I know all of God. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't do anything good because you, if you were from God, you would know that was the law. It goes to show they, they knew the law, but they didn't know God's heart. They didn't really know God. It was a pretentious thing. It was, this is what the law says and we're keeping it. You're not supposed to do this. But they didn't really know the heart of God, otherwise they would never have said that. 
What I find fascinating too is that this is an amazing miracle that takes place. Everybody knows this guy is literally blind and he can see. It's not like you got a little extra money from God or you got a little job, like your vision got returned to you. And it causes division. His vision causes division. You know, this is what, but you think that doesn't happen. It happens all the time. You get a promotion and the first people that turn on you is your family. Are you really ready for that? I mean, it's going to be a lot. You know, I just don't know if you're really cut out for that. Come on now. You get, God gives you a vision for your business. And the people turn on you. I, I can't see that happening. Do you really think that's a good idea? Do we, I mean, is that going to be able to really happen? And it causes division. So oftentimes when God does something wonderful in your life, gives you a promotion, does something amazing, guess what you can expect? Division. Don't expect everybody to jump on the yippee bandwagon with you. And especially if it's a vision for your future, be careful who you tell because most likely it will cause division. But promise tribe, can I, can I ask us this? Can we be cautious and not be the person that causes the division? Amen. Can we choose to be the person that when we hear good news, even if it's about somebody getting married and you're waiting for your spouse, can you still truly be happy for them and encourage them? If you hear somebody gets a promotion, can you be the encourager, even if you know they got a real problem with with time or with management or whatever can you not point out their issues and their weaknesses because guess what they probably know what they are better than you let's be the encourager let's say wow this is awesome I'm going to stand with you that God's going to do great things I'm going to pray for you that God's going to give you the wisdom that you need for this new job can we choose to be the encourager and not the person that's the naysayer that reigns on their parade, so to speak? Because <clears throat> the world does that. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that they, the world will know his body by the way we love each other. He said they will know you by your love for one another. The church should not be the place where you get torn down the most, criticized the most, pointed at the most. No. The church should be the place where we're like, have you heard what's happened? Isn't God good? Look at how he gives people another chance. Look at how his mercy and his grace continue. Let's be the person, let's be the person that focuses on unifying and giving and encourage them in this journey. Let's not be the one that's asking the wrong questions. I mean, these Pharisees, they, if I was there, don't you think I would have been like, where's this guy? maybe he'll do a miracle for me. Where did he go? What did he look like? Do you think he's still handing out blessings? Right? Like, let's go. But these Pharisees are more concerned with their protocol, with the way they look than with the real relationship. This is messing with them. This is an important part of our relationship with the Lord is that nobody is perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things wrong. And if you look to a person, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus, but you've got to give people grace for the mistakes as well. But the most important thing you can do is be authentic. Yes. Parents, <clears throat> raising kids, be authentic. If you yelled at your spouse at home, then 
pull your kids aside later and say, you know what? What mom did was wrong. I'm sorry, you know, I shouldn't have lost my temper like that. I shouldn't have said those things that was, that was not the godly character that I am trying to do. I'm not perfect, but that was very wrong. Please hear me. Because your child will recognize, because they will see your actions. And if you're screaming and yelling and whatever at home, and then you come to church and act all holier than thou, guess what the kids are going to turn on? God. And they'll turn on you. Because they'll be like, well, I'm not going to be disingenuous like my parents. And this is obviously not true because they're saying one thing at church and doing another thing at home. So this Christianity thing obviously doesn't really affect you. Look, we're all on a journey. This is, this is a challenge. Life is a challenge. If you've got kids and business and life and work, it's like you're going to get upset. You're going to lose your temper. You're going to make mistakes. That's why there's grace. That's why Jesus died. So we have grace and mercy. We don't abuse it, but we recognize it. So if you're going to go before God and say, repent, and be like, gosh, I'm so sorry, I lost my temper. He's going to go, why don't you go say that to your kids? Even if it wasn't about them, it was to their dad, because they're still sitting there going, huh. They understand that you're going to get mad because they get mad. They understand. But it's the explanation of, man, I'm trying, and I am messing up. Please know that this is not my heart, Right? So it's important to acknowledge. And that's what you see the Pharisees. There's no room in their life to acknowledge anything. So let's continue reading. I'm actually going to read this last portion. There's no scripture for the, I can see my media guys going, what? What scripture? I'm going to read this portion out of this uh, interpretation because I think it just, this is like a movie, okay? This is when you read the Bible and it comes alive like a movie. I'm going to start uh, verse 9, verse 17. Okay, so they're arguing about why he can see. So this prompted them to turn. Now the Pharisees, now they turn on the man that's, that was healed. And they put him on the spot in front of everybody and they say to them, so who do you say this man is who opened your blind eyes? And the guy goes, uh, he's a prophet? Still refusing to believe that the man had been healed and was truly blind from birth, the Jewish leaders called for the man's parents to be brought in. So now somebody's texting the parents, can you get an Uber, please get to the church. We've got questions for you about your kid. Parents show up, they're like, what's going on? They ask his parents, is this your son? Parents are like, uh, yep, yep. Was he really born blind? Yeah, yep. So they pressed his parents to answer. Then how is it that he now sees? But what had happened is they had told people, if you say this is God, you're going to get excommunicated, you're thrown out of the, the temple. You're no longer part of it. It was a big deal in those days. We don't do that here, but it was a big deal for them, right? And the scripture says it. I think if we keep reading. He, they, so the parents go, we have no idea. They answered, we don't know what happened to our son. Ask him. He's a mature adult. Why are you putting this on us? So <clears throat> that's why they told them, ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. So once again, they summon in the blind man. Bless him. And they say to him, Swear to God, tell us the truth. We know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? Now they're like putting words in his mouth. This is what, this is it, right? He's sinful. Admit this. And the healed man says, look, I have no idea what kind of man he is. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. <clears throat> These Pharisees, again, asking the wrong questions focusing on the wrong thing. This man has an incredible 
journey, the rest of it gets even funnier. I'm not going to take the time to, to continue the narrative. But he basically gets in their faces because they ask him again, tell us again how you got your sight. And he was like, for the love of, you know, I don't know what to tell you yeah, guys. He finally says, do you want to go and be his followers? You're asking so many questions. You know, he gets a little cheeky with them and, and they kind of put their foot down. But he has a testimony. His testimony was, I was blind and now I see. And the thing is, no matter how much they asked the wrong questions, no matter how much uh, pressure they gave, no matter how much they didn't understand, they can't take away his testimony. They can't take away what God did in his life. They can't take it away. So that's what you have to do in your own life, is you have to remind yourself sometimes of the goodness of God. What has God done in my life that is a testimony? That no matter when things are going wrong, no matter what circumstances, how bad things look, I can still give glory to God about this story. Let me tell you, like, oh, man, you, it looks like you're losing your house, you're losing this. Yeah, but let me tell you about the time when God brought my husband to me and how we met. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. Or something's going on in the marriage. Well, let me tell you about the time that God answered my prayer and gave me a job and blessed me financially. What you do is you remind your soul, you remind yourself of the goodness of God and the testimony. Because it doesn't matter what the naysayers say. It doesn't matter how many people hound you, try and get you to change your story, try and get you to admit. They're trying to get him to admit that it wasn't God. And that's what people will do to you. Are you sure? I mean, you were doing a lot of marketing. So are you sure it was God that got you that promotion? It wasn't just, I think it was your hard work. You've been working really long hours. I mean, I'm sure it's just you. I mean, really, God? What are they trying to do? They're trying to get you to take credit for the good in your life. Are you involved? 1,000%. But every good and perfect thing comes down from above. So whatever God unveils, uh, unveils for you, whatever favor He bestows on you, whatever grace, whatever thing it is, it's from God. So yes, you can say, yeah, I've been working hard, but man, isn't God opening doors for me? Look at this favor from heaven. This is only from Him. So regardless of how the pressure comes at you to try and change your story, the negative questions, the wrong questions that people will ask you, what is your answer? Can your life give glory to God regardless of what season you're in? You have a testimony every single person because you've been through stuff we've all been through stuff and the fact that you're here and you got through it and you're still standing it's a testimony all by itself the fact that you live in California right now with these prices of whatever we drive we live wherever it is the prices people it's like it's become like it's like a joke now I'm like seriously <laughs> It's the grace of God, because some people are called to the toughest territories. You weren't put here by accident. California needs light in the darkness. And so being called to this place is like, I go all the time, I tell Terry all the time, I'm like, what an amazing time to be alive. He'll tell me about everything that's going wrong, and I'm like, wow, what an awesome time to be alive. That God would choose me out of all the people in the Bible. He could have chose Moses to be born now. He chose me in the toughest time, in one of the most beautiful states. We get to live here. 
We get to be part of making the difference. We get to give God the glory in this season. Are you excited? Come on. I want to I close by showing you this miracle. And you probably, if you've been on my social media, you would have already seen uh, me playing it. But um, it just recently happened a couple of weeks ago at another church. Um, a gentleman who has been dealing with multiple sclerosis for many years. And uh, he's been working at a chemical factory. He had become legally blind. <clears throat> he's been legally blind for eight years. He's one eye. He's completely blind in one eye. The other eye has about 10% of vision and it's fractured vision. So literally you can see little fractures of light that come through. That's about it. He gives his life to the Lord. He goes to get baptized in water, not believing for anything. When he comes up out of the water, he's spirit filled, but his eyes are opened. God heals him. And if you watch his testimony, he says he's, he's seeing all this light come at him and usually light would hurt him. And he's like, how am I seeing this light? And then he says he begins to look down and he starts to see people around the baptism pool. And he, he says, he lean, you'll see him lean over to the pastor and he says, don't say anything just yet, but I think I just got my vision back, but I don't want to be imagining it. So the pastor says, like, what can you see? And he says, are there flags at the back of the church? And the pastor says, yes, there's all these flags of different nations at the back of the church. So he gets healed. So it's, it's such a cool little thing. It's just real quick. We'll play it so you know what's happening. Stop scrolling. You have to see this incredible miracle. This guy, James Drain, just a few weeks ago, got baptized in water. But wait for it, he was legally blind and has been for eight years. He was chemically blinded, long story, blind. Goes into the water to be baptized. Watch what happens when he comes out. He gives his life to Jesus. He gets baptized in water. And when he comes out, Jesus heals him. He can see, he is completely healed. This miracle wasn't meant for me. This was meant to bring others. This was meant as a beacon for others to see and, and to come um, and to learn to trust Jesus too. Jesus is doing wonders in this world, healing lots of people. Jesus can heal you too. Come on, if you know Jesus is the healer, subscribe and follow for more. Sorry, so that's the, how good is that though, huh? That's the one we made for, for the social media, but I wanted to originally show you the original. But anyway, if you see it floating around. But just an amazing miracle. That's who we serve. We serve a God of miracles. Go ahead and stand with me as we close this morning. I'll have my ministry team come forward. God is a God of miracles. Whether you're still waiting for one, whether you're believing for one, that's okay. Because faith pleases God. So if there's ever a time in your life you're without a need, then you're probably without faith, right? So you should always be trusting God for something, believing God for something. That's a good place to be because you're in faith and God loves that. But my ministry team is down front. If you need prayer for anything, whatever that is, they can stand with you. They can trust God for a miracle. They're down front. So as we close, I want you to come down and see them. If you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, that means you've acknowledged him as your savior, repent of your sins and choose to follow him, then I want you to come and see somebody down front and they'll pray with you and start your journey with the Lord. 
If you want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you can do that as well. Whatever you need is come down front. And I'll have Liz also my, come down front over here. So if you're interested in Bible college, this is your lost moments because we start tomorrow night, all right? Guys, thank you so much. We love you. And uh, we'll see you on Sunday. And uh, come down and see the ministry team if you need any prayer. Love you guys.